Okay, B'Shem Hashem Na'asev This is the second part of the class. The topic for tonight is how to prepare a kosher and appropriate wedding that is uh, obviously the bride and groom want to start off on the right foot and make God happy. So something that I wanted to talk about, which is a very, very serious problem, and I'm just so elated that this wonderful, wonderful book, Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef Sovasemachor is talking about it, is that it's absolutely positively wrong to set your wedding date on Saturday nights. If you want to look this up, it's page 47 on the Yalkut Yosef Sevasemachot, and I'll read for you verbatim what he writes. He says, Obviously, under Talmudic or Halachic law, there isn't anything per se wrong in the books, in the Sfarim that says you can't make a wedding on Saturday night. But the problem is very fundamental and major one. Since the vast majority of Jews in our day and age are not religious that much, are not observant, or some people are traditional, they'll try, from Iran, they try not to um, drive on Shabbat. We call it Shomer Shabbat Irani. They do, they're not so well versed in the actual halachot, but at least they know this basic concept of not driving and not, especially turning on and off lights and cooking. But here's the very, very big problem. What happens is, the person that owns the wedding hall, if he's Jewish, if we're talking about Israel, or they're going to go... In order to prepare for the wedding, they're going to desecrate Shabbat, right? To open up the... The caterer is for sure going to have to start cooking, especially in the summer or spring where Shabbat ends late. They're going to have to desecrate Shabbat. And worsely, all the guests are going to have to desecrate Shabbat because women are so... It's a billion, billion dollar industry to make their head appropriate and everybody wants to dress to impress... And unfortunately, you know, it was heartbreaking how one of my congregants were telling me he's very observant and has been for the last 25 years. But his wife also, you know, she respects him and is being observant. But again, her mother comes along and her sister and says, we have to drive to the uh, hair salon, hair salon to go get your hair made. And it's just heartbreaking. This woman that usually does keep Shabbat, her husband is furious. It's a whole major problem because he doesn't approve from his wife, his mother-in-law and his sister-in-law taking his wife on Shabbat. He wants his kids to grow up as Shomer Shabbat. This is a major problem in the Iranian Jewish community in LA. 
And if you want to be blessed with a happy life, a happy wife, good children, healthy children, if you start your life together causing hundreds, if not thousands of people to desecrate the Shabbat, I don't know how much of a good mazal and blessing that's going to bring into your life. You know, it's scary. Nothing is a guarantee in our life, right? Whether we're going to be alive the next second, have money the next second, right? Is there any guarantee that we're going to have everything we have the next second? So, Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef brings a beautiful thing that Haravavadiya Zatzal, our king, he did a very, very amazing thing and that was that when he became the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, Rabbi Yovadia Yosef, one of the first things, decrees he made was he made a meeting with all of the owners of the halls, wedding halls in Tel Aviv, which is was at that time the biggest city in Israel. And he begged them. He demanded of them. You should not rent out your wedding hall on Saturday night. So the owners of the wedding halls were saying, listen, we can't, The at the time, the Tel Aviv rabbinate, it's something interesting to know parenthetically that in Israel, all the weddings is under the auspicion and under the control of the chief rabbinate's office. So if you want to get married... And be recognized. So, anyways, the owners they 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 uh, complain that you know we they don't let us make a wedding all the days of the Omer, even after the thirty fourth day of the Omer. And you take away three weeks from us in the three weeks of mourning in the summer. How are we going to make a business? So, Rabovadia Yosef, look how. Wrong, he believed, making a wedding on Saturday night was that he made a deal. He made a compromise with the owners of these wedding halls. And he said, I'm going to let, I'm the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv from now on, only the 33 days of the Omer, you can't make a wedding. After the 30, from the 34th day and on, you are allowed to open your wedding halls. And, only during the nine days, people are not allowed to get married. Because under the Shulchan Aruch, a lot of people don't know this. The Sephardic classical law is that it's three, it's not three weeks that people shouldn't get married. Although that was the custom in Iran, but the custom of Israel under the Bet Yosef Maran was that they're allowed to get married the entire month of Tammuz, from the 17th till the end. Only the nine days of Av. So he said, I'm going to let you rent out your wedding hall and only close it for nine days rather than three weeks if you promise and they they made this compromise and um, it was a big big kiddush Hashem because I, I want to bring something out to people because you know the important most important thing that we have that keeps us godly and sane and human is our conscience now, I, for those people that will argue, well, I want to make my party till 3 a.m. And if I make it on, by the way, this doesn't only wedding, even bar mitzvahs. No Jewish party 
it's very clear, if you want to do the right thing, should be thrown on Saturday night. Unless every single one of your guests is super religious, where obviously then nobody would desecrate the Shabbat, right? But the world that we live in is unfortunately not that like that. Now, some people would argue that, hey, all my guests don't keep Shabbat anyways. They drive anyways. So you're trying to dictate something upon me which is not to my liking and making me uncomfortable. Well, that's not true. Because again, many people are in the gray area. They're traditional. They try to keep Shabbat. But under peer pressure, right, we human beings are creatures of copycats. And we, more likely than not, will cave into peer pressure, especially from our closest relatives. Like I told you the case where this husband was super religious, very religious, and then his mother-in-law, which was not that religious, and his sister-in-law came and drove his wife to a hair salon, salon and Shabbat, and he was furious. I mean, it was causing a major problem in their marriage. And this is what I want to let you know, everybody, that first of all, Judaism is not all or nothing. If you sin one million times, or 909,000 times, 99 times, one every time you desecrate Shabbat less is a blessing, right? So that's no excuse. And besides that, I know for a fact there are people that because they want to party, right? We're two weeks away from Purim and we know that the Persian king threw a $180 180-day party in Shushan in the times of um, Esther. So I guess it became inculcated in our blood as Persian Jews to love weddings. So it, it, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible mistake. And you know, if you sin yourself, that's between you and God. But when you cause the masses to sin, that is the most horrific and just, it, it, it's the amount of damage it causes in the spiritual world and the ma- amount of punishment that's waiting for you is, is I don't even want to go there because we want to talk positive things and Therefore, it is uh, absolutely positively a mistake. And thank God, most Persian rabbis in our community, the PRC, the Persian Rabbinical Council, highly recommends all his members not to officiate at any wedding that's Saturday night. And it's, it's, uh, anybody that does is really any rabbi that really does do this, it's, it's a total lack of integrity. And people should know that they have to do the right thing. If we want to be weak leaders, then everything goes down the drain. There's a principle that we have to follow. And whoever doesn't like it could go and bring other people. But as a community... There's no such thing as reform conservative Jew. Those are just arbitrary titles. 
Yes, there is two types of Jews, observant and non-observant, but we're all one, and we're all one community. So, out of respect, especially to the traditional Jews, and the people that are in the middle, and even you, uh, most people do have religious family. Those people are not going to be able to come to the wedding. Like, I had a wedding like this. I mean, it was in the summer. I, I left my house like 9.30, to get the, the chuppah. And I missed it. And it, it's wrong. It's wrong on so many different levels that I don't want. I want to go to the next point, which is even more important in another way. But it's uh, it's a mistake and it should not be done. As uh, we see that Rav Avadia Yosef went bend over backwards to the in Tel Aviv what he did. Now, I want to go to a second important concept which is uh, maybe even more prevalent. And that is something that it is such again a mistake when people make a kosher event. It's an event for Jews. It's a wedding, bar mitzvah, whatever engagement. And they serve on kosher food, lobster, or kosher style. Now let's not fool ourselves. Us human beings, I was going to be an auditor. I studied to be a CPA. Us human beings always need to be watched. That's why men need to get married. Because their wife is going to be there like shield to cause them to be sexually pure and ethical and not corrupt. And how could you trust a non-Jew that's saying that he's going to make you a kosher-style wedding and he'll bring you a receipt that he bought the food kosher, but what good does that do? Do you know the vast majority of anybody that on YouTube watch cooking shows knows the vast majority of recipes calls butter to be added to the meat. You know that. And so it's ridiculous. You're saying, first of all, again, if it's blatantly non-kosher, there's oysters and lobsters and ham. That's just disgusting and wrong. And again, you've missed the boat. If you're making a bar mitzvah wedding, and you're blessing God, and you're trying to bring God, you know, what makes this a ceremony? Because God said, Jews have to get married under chuppah. So it's like such a contradiction, and thank God on Facebook, uh, one of the great doctors of our community was talking about it. And that for sure is wrong. It's just wrong because I had a family member again, 20 years ago, this is going back 30 years ago. You know, people just, they, I don't know what foolishness it is, but they think that it's cool to show off that we could, we have every type of food under the world. So you could have at our wedding, even though it's a Jewish wedding, the bride and groom, you could get lobster, you could get anything you want. But again, my father of blessed memory went to one of these weddings and he told his family, how could you do such a thing? Your grandmother was a super religious Jew. Your own father is is rolling in his grave if he would see such a thing. And you know what happened? That that wedding ended in a very, very nasty divorce where the groom ended up 
we found out was a druggie and a cocaine addict. Listen, if we follow God and make a kosher wedding, it's not because of the money. Let's not fool ourselves. And again, I want to bring out this second idea. Somebody could argue, well, everybody that was invited doesn't keep kosher anyways. They go to any restaurant. First of all, that that's not necessarily true. There are people that keep kosher at home. And every less time you sin is a less hour a day that you're going to spend, spend in hell, right? So, it, it, you know, God records every action of ours. So just, it's the biggest mistake to say, if I wasted one day of my life, I'm going to waste my entire life. If I sin once, so I should sin an unlimited amount of times. That argument is wrong on that level. And again, I went to a brit milah, a circumcision, where I saw my entire congregation was was invited. It was a kosher style um, caterer. And I knew these people keep kosher. They buy everything from the kosher market. And everybody ate there. And it was one of the worst days of my life because I, I didn't want to destroy the guy's party. And, but the point I'm trying to make here is that there are people in the middle. Under normal circumstances, they will keep kosher 100%, whether outside their home or inside their home. But again, some people, everybody's eating it, and the smell mesmerizes you, and it makes you drunk. And you know, this is a fact, that you're causing people to sin. And that's the worst type of sin where God, it's almost impossible to get forgiven, right? Because, I mean, I don't even want to go into that can of worms, but... When you cause the masses to sin, it's unfathomable, the punishment of it. And therefore, again, the uh, a caterer told me, a kosher caterer that's certified told me, you know, I was in line in Jetro. You know, it's called the Restaurant Depot where all these caterers get there. He said, the guy was, I was next to one of these kosher style caterers. And the guy was buying ranch dressing. Ranch dressing has milk in it. So he told them why you, he says, I don't care. We're, again, let's not fool ourselves. Kosher style is not kosher. I could guarantee you almost a hundred percent that they put butter in the, in the meat and the dressing if it's ranch. And I'm not even so sure. I'm not even convinced that the meat is really kosher. They, you know, if nobody's to audit, if, if one thing I learned in those countless hours of studying for the CPA is that human beings cannot be trusted because especially when there's a financial motive, right? When kosher meat is triple the price or double the price. So I, I would definitely, and you know, it's a shame. This is the, the, the most crazy part about it. I understand if you live in the middle of Oklahoma, like many Iranian Jews during the Shah's time, they went to college, like my own father-in-law went to University of Oklahoma to become a chemical engineer. And there was no such thing as kosher there. There was no kosher food. And, you know, these people would tell me, listen, there's a tree of tuna fish growing in my stomach. How many days can I eat tuna fish? You know? So thank God, you know, it's a blessing actually that there's vegan now and people are into vegetarian. It's much closer to you know, actual kosher. And 
just a few small points, but what I'm trying to say is why in the world when we have such good kosher catering like Pat's that the Prime Minister of Israel eats from the food or many other wonderful kosher caterers, why would you go and pick the non-kosher? Again, I understand if kosher is not available, so fine. That's also a big fat mistake. But we're living in an era, even in Vegas if you make the wedding, even if you make it in Cancun, even if you make it in Hawaii, there is certified glad kosher food. And this this makes God angry. That people say, why is Mashiach come? Why is there so much, you know, sickness in the world? Well, obviously, when we... It's so easy to keep like a drink of water and you go around and you go for the non-kosher or the kosher style. I mean, what excuse can we give? I mean, this is just wrong. And I, I do not think that... Uh, Unfortunately, to my, again, we want to bless all the young couples, but when you start off your wedding with causing hundreds or thousands of people to desecrate Shabbat, because some of these weddings have thousand people there, and keep unkosher, which Judaism is based on a three-legged table, Nida. Kosher and Shabbat. You're breaking two of the legs of the table. You're starting your life together. And not only are you sinning, you're causing the whole masses to sin. And again, people that I can guarantee you, if they didn't have this peer pressure, they would be keeping kosher and keeping Shabbat because, but now that they're amongst all their friends and family, they're going to eat the kosher style or break Shabbat. It's wrong. I wanted to go back to another idea that you will not find talked about a lot, and even the modern Orthodox, unfortunately, don't know about it. But I did give a class on this also a couple of years ago, and that is that it is absolutely positively wrong. Again, I know a case, the husband and wife got married, five years after the wedding, still no kids. Because the bride said she wants to, or the husband said, I want to go to the five corners of the world and see every tropical island. Then I want to have kids. This is forbidden under halacha. Because you have to understand one thing, ladies and gentlemen. The reason we, we get married is to carry out the first mitzvah of the Torah. First of all, birth control for men is forbidden. Men under Jewish law should not use condoms with their wives. It's the worst sin. Go look in chapter 20 of the Shulchan Aruch, Zerah Labatala. And also, we have to understand, maybe the woman is in graduate school, maybe the woman psychologically is not ready to have kids right away. That's the woman's choice. They have to consult with a prominent Orthodox rabbi. Obviously, somebody that's a posek, somebody that's an expert in Jewish family law, and he could give them permission to delay having kids for maybe a year or two, but this is its just ridiculous. There's no permission just to not have kids for no reason. Again, we want to bring Mashiach as soon as possible. And a word to the wise, if you do want to, I know that really deep down there are so many 
good souls out there. They just don't have the information. And this is why God created YouTube and the internet for us to share the right thing to do. Um, the permission of not having kids, we take, we take into the consideration the psychological and physical well-being of the wife. So her and her husband would have to go to a very prominent rabbi that's an expert. And only if he gives permission, because you understand, unless you have one boy and one girl... You have not committed the first commandment of the Torah. And to just take five years off or ten years off, again, I have another couple, it breaks my heart. I was the officiating rabbi, the mother, the father, the whole family's crying. The husband doesn't want to have kids. And they've been married three years. Again, it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, the second thing that is also very, very important, and thank God, thank God, it's so heartwarming to know this, that obviously when you want to set up the wedding date, the most, the first thing that you have to take into consideration, right in our previous class said it's no problem, the month of Elul, and even if the groom is over, uh, 20, they can even make it in the 10 days of Teshuvah between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But the first thing that is even more important than that, that we have to make sure that the woman's cycle, she has to be pure, right? Not bleeding during, and she have the time to, to go to the mikveh. And while we're on this subject, it's so heartwarming that Baruch Hashem, one of the rabbi's wives in the community, She's a mikveh lady. She's in charge to make sure the women dip properly in the mikveh. And it's, thank God, it's a wonderful thing that she was saying that sometimes on a given night, 80 to 90% of the women that come there, it's clear they're not Shabbat observant or they're not really religious, but they still do keep the laws of mikveh. Because I want to take out something from here. Kabbalistically, a child that is born from a pure, that the mother did go to the mikveh is a world of a difference than a mother that didn't go. They call it the mikveh baby. If the mother did not go to the mikveh, it's, uh, we don't want to talk negativity, but it's benetet midot, the spiritual soul of the kid. It could possibly be defective, handicapped, not on a physical level, but on a spiritual level, because when the husband and wife come down, God also comes down to give the soul. Now if they're not keeping the most important law of Judaism, then it's uh, it's highly, highly problematic. Now what I want to say is so heartwarming is, it's very important during that one month or two month period in the time of engagement, that especially the woman go and have a Kala teacher, have a woman study with her once or twice a week, all the laws. I as a rabbi had to study for an entire year, four hours a day, all the laws of husband and wife's relations when the woman is uh, going to the mikveh. So there's a lot of laws. The woman gets a female teacher to teach her. And the it's so heartwarming. I've done this a lot. The, the groom, the chatan gets a... Um, a male teacher 
to teach him all what he needs to be aware because you know when the woman is a nida we're not even allowed to hand something from one hand to the other you know you have to put it on the table and there's a many 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 details but what I want to say is Rabbi Mer Balhanes says in the Gemara why did God create such a phenomenon as nida because we Jews are basically two weeks on two weeks off two weeks we're not allowed to have relations with our wife because five or six days she's bleeding then seven days she has to count and then on the seventh night, she goes to the mikveh, and then they they have intimacy, the husband and wife. But what I'm trying to say is, Rabbi Mer Balanes says, God wanted the woman to be so special, and their relationship to be so fresh, like the night of the wedding. So if once a month, you want to have like, the same excitement and enthusiasm, and specialness of your wedding night, because two weeks you didn't were able to touch your wife, and you weren't able to be intimate with her, it creates a relationship where it doesn't become old. Right? Because when they're two weeks off, it's a whole new excitement on that night. And God willing, we would have to um, give devote a whole other class, which probably would not be recorded just because of the sensitivity of the topic, that... Um, we uh, do that. But the best investment that's going to cause you to have the best children in the world and for God's presence to come into your house, it's worth it to learn the laws of mikveh. And um, there's enough said about that. I-, I wanted to bring out another idea that's important. A lot of people don't know this, is that it is very important to know that there's two type of tefillin. Now if you read the Shulchan Aruch, it, he actually says you should put two simultaneously. I don't know if you've never seen that. In Israel it's very common. Mm. But there's tefillin called Rabbeinu Tam. Now Rabbavadia Yosef is of the opinion that since that tefillin is so holy, if you're not married, you don't need to wear it. But after marriage, it's a wonderful thing to go ahead and do what? By, in your engagement period, the groom should go and order a tefillin de Rabbeinu Tam. Why? Why do I say this? Because actually, there's an argument to how, you know, the tefillin has four compartments, which are two of the paragraphs of the Shema Israel and two of the paragraphs of Kadesh Li. So there's this dispute that, do we go in chronological order? Put the paragraphs in the tefillin, write them, and put them in the head. And Or do you go by importance? Should Shema be first? Because that's the most important Jewish prayer. And a lot of thing, a thing people don't know is the vast majority of medieval commentaries agree with the Rabbeinu Tam. So in order to be safe, now that you're holy because, right, you became a complete human being when you got married, it's a wonderful thing to... Order uh, Rabbeinu Tam Tefillin and obviously right after Ashrei you take off your first Tefillin, you put on the second and uh, we can have another short video on the laws of that. Another idea I want to go through very very quickly is there has been a custom that the bride and groom fast on their wedding day. Why is that? Because 
God, the Talmud Yerushalmi says you're like a king and it's a, you're starting, it's like you're reborn on the day of your wedding. So God forgives all your sins. So since it's such an auspicious and special day, there is a custom to fast. In Iran there was this custom. Unfortunately or fortunately, Rabbi Vadio Yosef says that it's wrong. The custom of the land of Israel was that they should not. Because it's the happiest day of your life. When you fast, it makes you weak. Maran Raharav ben David, my family's personal grand rabbi, also says it's not a good idea because the husband needs energy to perform the night of his wedding, that special mitzvah. So some people say the day of their wedding, they do taniti bur. They don't talk any <coughs> words that are not words of Torah or prayer. Because it says that doing such a thing is like equivalent to a thousand fast. Or they fast the Friday before their wedding. Ask your local Orthodox rabbi, Mazel Tov. We hope everybody finds their soulmate and have a wonderful day. Don't